Hey friends, have you ever faced a challenge in life and wondered how you were going to get through this or whether God was even there while you were going through it? Our guest today struggled with health challenges for most of her life, from the time she was two into her 40s, and she says her faith helped her through it. She learned a lot about God. She shares all that with us today. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 344, Melanie Brown and Empowered to Meet the Challenge. Friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being with us. I am deeply grateful that you have downloaded this episode. You've got a lot of choices. Uh, sometimes I talk about the numbers. I was just doing a presentation yesterday, and it was something like 4 million podcasts, and I don't even know how many are in the Christian category. you got a lot of choices for good content, and you chose to download Halfway There. Thank you for doing that. If you get a chance, go ahead and just hit that uh, share button in whatever podcast app you're using. They all have them, so just share it. Tweet it out to you know your whoever your whatever social media you're on, or just text it to a friend, a family member, somebody who could use this episode. It means a lot to us. It's how people find halfway there most often. By the way, if you're interested, you want to help support the show, you like it, you want to keep it going. Uh, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. There's a little button that says Patreon. That's how you can support us on a monthly basis. Really do appreciate that as well. All right, friends, let's dive into our conversation today. Our guest, I'm excited to hear more about her story. She's a author, speaker, and the host of the Challenges Won't Stop Me podcast. Now that's interesting, right? So Definitely going to be a story behind that, no doubt. Our guest is Melanie Brown. Melanie, welcome to Halfway There. Eric, I am so excited about spending time with you. Yeah, me too. Uh, we've got to do a little bit of conversation about your podcast, and I'm excited to hear more deeply about your story because I know that when, for at least for me, when you start a podcast, uh, it's got there's there's a reason for that, right? There's something you want to share, there, and so. Uh, that doesn't come from nowhere. So tell us a little bit more about kind of who you are, where God has you right now. Give us a fuller picture of who Melanie Brown is. So I am a native Atlantan. I have lived in Georgia my entire life, which is kind of unusual around these parts. I absolutely love my state and everything about it. Uh, I am, as you said, an author and a podcaster and a speaker I enjoy those things because I like getting out there and sharing the message of what God has done in my life, but also to help others in their lives when they are facing challenges. Because there are people who are struggling, and instead of saying, okay, this stinks, I don't like this, I'm going to fight to overcome, and I'm going to work towards getting to a better place— and God's going to be my my navigator. He's going to be my strength. I want to share that message because there are people that just simply don't know it, or maybe they are a Christian, and while they cognitively know it, they don't they don't apply it in their lives. They it's, it's not in their heart to to follow through. Yeah, yeah, and it can be. There's a difference between knowing things and taking action, right? Which um, Yes. Sometimes this is the hardest part, right? Is taking the action. So I get that. All right. So you're from Atlanta, which it sounds like that's a little bit like Denver, where I live, 
where there's a lot of people who have moved here, right? Atlanta's if, at some yes. time the one of the largest uh, and quick, most quickly growing cities in the country, if I remember right, right? Denver, yes, Denver very much so. vied for that title, I think, in the 90s. So there's similar vibes where there's lots of people and none of them are from here, and uh, but we all like we all like living here. So, all right. But so you grew up there and t- you were going to take us back to when you were two. Tell us about, tell us about that. Well, when I was two, I had a stroke that, oh, yeah, I had a stroke that impaired my left side. Uh, it was unexpected. My parents, of course, didn't see any warning signs. It happened. They took me to the emergency room. They discovered that I had had a stroke. While I was there, the doctors were scratching their head going, we don't know what caused this. She's two years old. Everyone else that we see that has a stroke is 65 and older. So we don't really know what to do with your daughter. We're going to send her home with some aspirin and a script for some physical therapy. And good luck with that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously this impacts your life. And so what did that, uh, what happened? Like, what did, what did that do? Well, I had to learn how to walk again, how to feed myself again. It impaired my balance, which is still a continuous struggle. Uh, I kind of wobble when I walk uh, because that part of my brain is like just not cooperating. Uh, My left side is significantly weaker than my left side. No matter how much I go work out at the gym, it's just Mm. uh, it's weaker One of the things that I learned when I was in college studying to become a teacher is that it impacted my reading comprehension. And the reason that I learned it then is that as a kid, I knew that reading was something that I loved, but I had such a hard time remembering all the details, but I didn't know why. But as I uh, studied to become a special education teacher, I learned that the reading comprehension struggles that I had were part of Oh, the yeah. residuals from the stroke at age two. Yeah. Interesting. So that's like, obviously had these long-term kind of effects. Did you find that audio is better for you? Is it, does that process differently? Audio specifically, what do you mean? I mean, like, so like you're a podcaster now, right? So like I wondered, and I was having a conversation with somebody the other day where uh, somebody had given them feedback about their podcast that they had actually learned uh, certain things I think it was a Bible podcast that they didn't get from, they couldn't get from reading theology, right? They could, they got it from the podcast because they learned as an audio, uh, audio person. But I didn't know if that was true for you or not. Gotcha. And I, I, now I'm following you. Yes. Uh, what makes audio great is oftentimes it comes with stories. I really connect mm. with stories. So that's part of why on my podcast, I interview women and ask them to tell their stories about the challenges that they have faced. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So you, I mean, this is a, obviously a kind of a lifelong thing. What was your family like? Was it a Christian family? Was it, you know, what was that situation like for you? Both of my parents grew up in Christian homes, but they didn't participate in that when I was a kid. But what they did have was just this solid mindset of, we don't know why this happened, but we're not going to let it stop our daughter. So they had me involved in all kinds of sports, all kinds of activities. Uh, the sports were great in strengthening my left side. It didn't fix it. Um, it's not going to fix it, but it definitely strengthened it. Yeah. And it was 
very much about their mindset. They they were like, you can do anything any other kid does. You may have to work a little bit harder, but you can do it. And I think that that mindset was instrumental in the way that I navigated the rest of my life. Yeah, because you kind of had to have that situ that mindset of I'm going to overcome this regardless of what happens already. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So I think some of us have to learn that I'm raising my hand. Like I had to learn that later, right. In, in different ways um, in order to come different kinds of pain, but you kind of had it built in uh, built into your life. Okay. So how about your, uh, so you said your family wasn't really, they were believers growing up, but weren't really involved in church. How did your faith, how did you find faith? How did it start to become something of your own? Well, my mom came and sat down on my bed on a Saturday night when I was in seventh grade and said, we're going to church in the morning. And I said, okay, sure. And that's how we started getting back involved in the church. And my dad got involved back in the church after I had met my husband. So there was always a foundation of good, solid, biblical Christian values being taught throughout my entire childhood, but it just wasn't necessarily we're going to church. Yeah. What happened? Why? Why all of a sudden? I think she came to a point where the frustration and anger that she had from her past uh, with Christians and churches and people not following through with Christian values, I think it came to a head and she said, I got to drop the anger because I want God in my mm. life. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? So that's definitely, okay. So it sounds like maybe she had some hurt church hurt or some things that had yes. happened. I get that. Okay. So yeah. decided to go back. Okay. Well, how'd that impact you and your personal journey? With her going no, back? With your faith, with your, your relationship with the Lord. Well, I was grateful for her going back, but not until I started going to church in college. Uh, I went with her all the way through high school, but then she noticed that I wasn't going to church on the weekends when I didn't come home. And when that happened, she said, all right, I'm coming up there. We're going to visit some churches. We're going to find one that you feel comfortable with because I really think it's important for you to go. And incidentally, met my husband at church the first time that we went to visit one. So God had a story there for sure. Well, tell, so tell me what happened. What, how, how did you, uh, how that encounter go? Well, we showed up on a Sunday morning. I was, I guess a little hesitant just because I hadn't been to this church before. didn't feel like I didn't know anyone. And so I felt uncomfortable with that. Uh, we sat towards the back. I looked up towards the front and I saw the group of college kids and there was a good looking guy up there, except he had his arm just across the pew, just like, you know, nothing unusual about that. Just had his arm out. Like you do. And in that day and time, and this dates me, he had a gold nugget ring on his left ring finger. And I thought, darn, he's good looking and he's already taken. That stinks. Except he didn't. He wasn't taken at that point. And we went to lunch. My mom went back home. 
I went back that night. Uh, the minister there at that church stopped me as I was walking in and said, hey, I noticed you came this morning. Tell me a little bit about yourself. So as I was talking to him, that good looking guy walks right by us and he stops this guy and he says, I want to introduce you to somebody new. She's a college student over at West Georgia. Uh, maybe you could invite her to sit with you. His name is Jeff. And so uh, everything inside of me is just tingling, you know, like, oh my gosh. But I still thought that he was married. And so sat up there with him <laughs> and he told me a little bit about himself. And through our conversation, I don't recall every bit of it, but through our conversation, I learned that he wasn't married. And inside I'm going, yes, thank <laughs> you, God. <laughs> so fast forward just a couple of days later, my sorority was having a a social in which we were to invite two guys. And I invited him when I saw him at the the area at our college where all the people gathered, uh, the square. And I said, I don't know if you have any plans for this Thursday night, but my sorority is having a social and I would like for you to go with me. And this is something that we laugh about all the time. Our two sons use it all the time as well. He goes, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think I need to check my schedule. Can I get your number and call you? <laughs> and he says, I didn't have a schedule. I was just freaking out that you were inviting me and I didn't know what to say. So it gave me a little bit of time to recover. Yeah. So that was the right guy. Year and a half later, we got married. Wow. While you were still in college? Uh, no, we both had graduated. You were graduating. That okay. That's amazing. Wow. So, all right, friends, looking for a spouse, go to church. That's the answer. Is that is that the lesson we take from this? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the pastor was playing matchmaker. He didn't even know it probably. <laughs> We've given him credit for it too. That's good. That's great. Uh, I love that. Okay. So that's an interesting story. Tell me about your, so, yeah, I mean, obviously you decided to start going to church and you obviously kept going to that church, I'm guessing, because you were... Uh, because you're with, you'd met somebody. So what was that, um, you know, what was your personal, like when did it become kind of your own faith and your own kind of uh, encounters with God? Did you have anything like that? Absolutely, I did. And it was during that time when I was dating Jeff, uh, I had gone through our curriculum as a teenager at our church growing up. Uh, but it just didn't connect with me. It was more out of duty to my mom than mm -hmm. it than it was anything about a faith or wanting to even be there. Yeah, but, which by the way, I just think is pretty normal, right? Like so, absolutely being, being in those spaces, you know, you're learning it. Like those are pivot; they're important moments, but they don't always. They're not always the thing that makes us that turns things around, right? Or makes us more Godward. So, okay. Pick up from there. So when I met Jeff, he was very much about studying the Bible, which, which <laughs> was so new to me. Uh, the kids that I had gone to church with in high school, none of them had this like super hunger to study God's word. And he wanted to study with me. And while we might have gone out to dinner, he would say, let's, let's study the Bible together when we get back. And I'm thinking, 
this is so bizarre, but so cool all at the same time. And as we studied together, I kind of caught his excitement and his passion. And he explained things as we were studying that opened my eyes to how much that I needed God. And he was there when I was baptized because okay. I hadn't been baptized up to that point. Why did you decide to get baptized? Because that was when I really understood what God had done for me through Jesus' sacrifice. I Up until that point, I had heard about God and I had heard about Jesus, but it, it just, it was like words. It didn't connect with yeah. me. But actually studying and, and discussing it, he and I together, that's when it became real. And I said, oh, I, I need to make this connection with God. And that's why I was baptized and, and why I committed my life. Yeah, I love that. Really interesting. So that's kind of, it's kind of fascinating. So I guess that's what study is for, right? To help us take those steps, to help us, to help us do that. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So were there other, did you have other mentors or other books or other things that kind of helped you move uh, forward as a, um, you know, as you, as you were growing, did you kind of catch this Bible study wave or what happened there? I absolutely did. I have always known since I was a kid that I am just needing to learn, wanting to learn all kinds of things. And so as I learned from him through that Bible study, and it wasn't a it wasn't an actual book that we read through and did the questions or anything like that. It was just sitting down, actually looking at the book of Esther, which is interesting in and of itself. But that's what we studied. As we became newlyweds and going to church together in a new location altogether, the ladies ministry offered all kinds of Bible studies, Beth Moore studies. Mm -hmm. um, Priscilla Schreier wasn't around then, but there were, uh, there were other Bible studies that I participated in and absolutely loved it. And that's where I saw my faith grow and really began understanding more about my identity in Christ and about God's promises for my life. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so you're growing and uh, you're you're kind of getting in these Bible studies. What what happens? Like, is there is there any other, um, you know, that like next? You assume you're starting a family and you're doing those kinds of things. You're teaching, right? Because you're you're a mm -hmm. teacher. So, mm -hmm. um, you know what what else happened? And did you ever? So I guess my next question would be like. Did you ever run into what we call a dark night of the soul when you had to really challenge God or God, God felt far away? Um, interesting. I don't feel like God has ever felt far away. I feel like over the course of my early years of marriage, when I started having migraines, and that's part of my neurological struggle is the migraine started when I was uh, late 20s all the way through my late 30s. I questioned God a lot. Like, where are you? I don't understand mm -hmm. why I keep having all of these struggles. And my migraines weren't just once every mm, three or four months. Mine were three or four a week. Wow. And they were debilitating. And it was really difficult, especially when I had young children and I cannot even begin 
to tell you how much Jeff was wonderful during that time. He took care of them. He made sure they were fed and bathed and all the things. But I was in in the bed and I was questioning God in the fact that I know you can heal. I know you are Jehovah Rapha, but like, yeah, there, why, why do I have to do this? And for this many years, and it makes me now appreciate those other people that we all know that have chronic illnesses or mental illnesses that just last and last, and there's just no end to it. And you never know when uh, a struggle is going to pop up and how long it's going to last. Absolutely. And so, yeah, absolutely. And so that that's really interesting. How did you resolve that with the Lord? Or do you have any particular memories of interacting with God during that time? Or maybe not? Like, was there was there something that stands out? Absolutely. There there are plenty of interactions that I had when I was in the bed. It's, it's hard to pray when your head feels like it's in a vice, yeah. you know, but I would call out to God, please help me. I know you can help me. I know you're there. I believe you're there. I trust that you're there. Please hear my prayers and do something. Um, I I wasn't necessarily expecting that he would completely take them away. While I knew while I knew he could, I was just asking for relief. I was saying, please just give me some relief for this. And that was about the time that I came across a verse, and I don't recall if it was from a study or a sermon, but I came across a verse in Hebrews that's in the Amplified Version. In the other versions, it doesn't uh, have the same punch as it does in the Amplified Version, and it's Hebrews 2, verse 13, and it says, my trust and my assured reliance and confident hope shall be fixed in him. And the reason that I grabbed onto this is because when I was in the depths of the pain and just the misery of migraine day after day, I would re- I would recite that verse because it put my focus on God mm-hmm. rather than on my struggles. And that helped me tremendously because I could get in a bad place if I focused on my struggles and the pain and the the fact that I wasn't spending time with my kids and worried a lot about, is that how they're going to remember their childhood? Mom in bed, unable to do anything. Yeah. It was all dad. And I didn't want that. Yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting. Like going to the passage and... Uh, having that experience, did you? It sounds like you eventually. Um, well, let me say this. So, what what did that do about your for you in terms of identity? Because a lot of times those seasons, God will use to uh, take certain identities away from us that we thought we had to have, that we thought you know we were doing all the things, uh, and give us others. And I'm curious if you had any experiences like that. Well, yeah, I call those the refining fires. Yeah, absolutely. This, this was John of the Cross. You know, he wrote that the book Dark Night of the Soul because he really got locked in a closet. So he really was in the dark night. Um, but this was kind of his reflection on it. So yeah, absolutely refining. It's the same idea. So go ahead, go, tell us tell us what that was like. Yeah, and I think that the refining fires of those those years was a lot about 
scraping away the, the identities of who I was or who I wasn't mm-hmm. uh, and helping me, even though it was hard to draw close to him and trust him, even though, as the Waymaker so- song says, I don't see what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm trusting that you're making a way. All of those things, I I had to realize that I was a child of God and that it wasn't about how much I accomplished uh, because that's always been a struggle of mine is wanting to accomplish a lot of things. And that doesn't make me any better of a person if I have 25 accomplishments rather than the yeah. one or two that, that God really wants me to have. And so it was more about me being his daughter than what I did to please him. It wasn't, I never really struggled with, I need to do this to earn his love. It was more about wanting to please him. And I felt like accomplishments were a way to please him. So that was definitely stripped away during that time. I still struggle with it from time to time. And he'll, he'll like kind of like that match and I'll go, Oh, yep. Mm, I'm doing it again. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's pretty easy to do that. Right. To think about wanting to please God as a, as a practice. Right. And then that's why I love the book so much with by Sky Jatani. I don't know if you've read that, but he is, makes this point that God wants to live life with us, not, not, you know, even over us. Like it's, it's, it's a together thing. And sometimes it takes a lot of hard things to get there, right? To understand that and to accept it because it's otherwise just doesn't seem right, right? We, we really want, if I could just please God by doing all the things, I would try really hard to do all the things, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not exactly it. And that's what I hear you saying. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Oh, I love that. Okay. So you had to be comfortable with the one or two things that God was asking you to do and to just, just obey in that. All right. What, what was the result of all that, that season that you look back now and go, that's, that's what came of, of that season. Well, I think that a lot of what came of that season is me drawing closer to God. When that first happened, the the early twenties, or late twenties, rather, I was going to church. I had committed my life to God. It wasn't that I was going through the motions necessarily, but I, I didn't feel that closeness. And I do feel like looking back that while a whole 10 years, 11 years of migraines is a lot to be used for God to draw me closer to him, I feel like that's one of the biggest takeaways from that time. Uh, I learned the value of family and friends and what I call companions that came mm. o- came alongside me and, and fed my boys or took them to, to play or came and sat with me. I had a friend that came one time when I had a migraine and just sat in the bed and held my hand and just prayed over me while I slept. And what I took away from that is the importance that we all have of being there for one another and and helping out and taking care and sending cards of encouragement. All of those things helped me tremendously while I was having those migraine after migraine, just knowing that there were people praying for me um, that cared about me and my family 
that was significant. Yeah. I hear you talking about community, right? You had a community yes. that would care for you. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to be, right? It's, it's designed to do and you experienced it. Friends, I don't think you can underestimate the value of as Melanie said, being there and the the ministry of presence, if you will, just showing up sometimes is enough. But if you can't, I've got a lot of friends all across the country now. Sometimes I'll send a, um, you know, a DoorDash gift card, right? Something like that to buy, buy some food um, or something else, you know, if you, if you can't do that. But send a card, send a text, do that. There's somebody you're thinking about. In fact, I got a text from somebody today. I haven't talked to you in several years, but uh, uh, it was really encouraging, right? So if you can do that, definitely do it. Somebody's on your mind right now. Go go do that. Flip over to your text app and send send a text. Okay, so you learned the value of community. I think that's really uh, impressive and amazing. Um, what so you know what what happened next? Eventually, that that resolve. Were you able to get some treatment or something, or just did it go away? How that how that go for you? I had gone through countless number of treatments and I had found some treatments that didn't get rid of it completely, but it did lessen the frequency. And so that was extremely helpful. But just as I had gotten, I guess, a handle on my migraine, my migraine uh, journey strategy, I don't know. uh, I started having mini strokes, which again Mm. is a neurological issue. And at this time, I was being treated, and I'm not going to name names, but I was treated by a group, and they just didn't seem to be too highly concerned about me having mini strokes. And I kept saying, I had a stroke, and I've had decade-long um, struggle with yeah. migraines. Those are neurological. Now we've got another neurological thing going on. I'm getting very concerned. So after my third mini stroke, they just were like, oh, here's another medicine. And I finally broke away from them. And I started going to another neurologist who was very concerned. And he said, this is not good. This is not good at all. Did change my medication and said, if you have another mini stroke, this is serious enough that we need to talk to the neurosurgeon. Those are big words. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's That sounds scary. It it is. But through my paperwork that he had requested from the previous neurologist, there was a diagnosis in there, but I had never been given that information, nor had we talked about how you treat this particular diagnosis. Hmm. So he was aware of it. And he said, we're going to change your medication. And if you have another mini stroke, he knew that that diagnosis meant neurosurgery. So I made it 15 months, thank goodness. But when it happened, I called them and I said, all right, I've I've had another mini stroke and I've been processing because it took that long to process wow. the word neurosurgery. Right. Uh, and went over to the appointment with the neurosurgeon, scheduled what is called an uh, angiogram of my brain rather than my heart. Mm-hmm. And within 20 minutes, he said, yes, indeed, you have this disease. It's called Moya Moya. And I said, okay, tell me about it and then tell me what we do. So he said, it's a rare cerebrovascular progressive disease. 
that is characterized by stroke, mini stroke, and migraines. So I met all three criteria. Wow. Yes. So you've been struggling with this for like maybe your whole life and you didn't know. Since age two. Oh my goodness. Okay. And I was 45 years old when I was given that diagnosis. What, what did you feel when you got that? Relief. Yeah. Actually, because with neurological issues, oftentimes other people can't see what's going on. It's like a mental illness or a chronic illness. And this is a chronic illness. I questioned myself my entire life. Did I really feel that? Did I really feel my brain just going crazy and then my left side would get weak? Did I did I make that up? Mm-hmm. And so finally I had some validation that there was something significant going on in my body and in my brain that had caused all of this. I, I, I remember there were people talking, um, one day at the school I was at, some teachers were talking and I walked up on their conversation and I knew they had questioned whether or not I was really having these things. And it wasn't that they were being vicious. It's just these months, she keeps having all these migraines all the time. Like she's missing work all the time. Mm -hmm. Is it really bad enough to miss that much work? So that played into me questioning myself. Sure. So when I got this diagnosis, it was a relief. At least I had a name for what had been happening my entire life. Yeah. You knew what to call it and say, okay, this is what is actually happening. Um, Wow. Okay. So you finally find this neurologist who sounds like is really taking it seriously, more seriously uh, and gets you there. Did you have the surgery and like, Yes. Yeah, but that was that was a challenge. Definitely was a challenge. The words brain surgery are just yeah. even hard to say, much right. less undergo. Uh, but prior to that, I was still teaching at the time, and the teachers knew what what my diagnosis was, and they knew that I had upcoming surgery. They knew the seriousness of it, and I was just giddy. I was such at peace. And I will tell you that that is when I experienced that peace that passes understanding. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. I was so confident and so sure that God was going to take care of me. And this is why, as I went into that season of waiting for the surgery, of course, you go to Google and you type it in and they tell you not to do that because it's worst case scenarios. <laughs> right. And it is, it, it it is, especially with this one. And what I learned was nowadays, if you have a stroke, like I did, you don't leave the hospital without brain surgery. Wow. So what built my confidence like that fast was the fact that I knew my stroke happened at age two and 43 years later, I'm getting the diagnosis and getting the surgery. The amount of times that God has intervened or protected me or saved me throughout those years, I will not know until I see him face to face. But as much as I struggled, Mm -hmm. 
I can only imagine how much he kept me from. And that just, that just built my faith like overnight. And that's why I was so giddy. I was like, if he's done all that, then this brain surgery, piece of cake. So I just went into it just so confident. So that was in March of 2016. It's been seven years. Okay. And I have done wonderfully. Praise God. I love that. Everything went well and you were able to get back. So has it changed your life? It hasn't changed in the fact that I still will always have the potential of having strokes and mini strokes and migraines. And I have had migraines more so than the others. I haven't had a stroke. I've had a couple of mini strokes right after my surgery in that when they moved the blood vessel to the place that hadn't been receiving oxygen my entire life, it takes time for it to to grow. Yeah. But other than that, I have, it's kind of hard to quantify. Um, There are things that are better, but to put my finger on this particular thing is better. My reading comprehension is still terrible. I have to do a lot to comprehend, which incidentally is one of the things that I work with with my students when I do tutoring because I learn strategies to help myself learn and do well on tests. Interesting. That I think me having to have that struggle was needed in order to prepare me for what I'm doing now. Yeah. Okay. So this gets to kind of the the title of your book, Challenges Won't Stop Me, right? In your your podcast. So yes. the um because in a very real that's a real great tangible example of how something that you I mean you didn't choose and it just kind of came into your life, but because you've had to learn to overcome it, um, you're able now to help other people and in your work every single day to, to do that so that you can uh, give them the strategies that you develop just purely out of need and necessity. Exactly. Exactly. And I am glad to have gone through the challenges that I did in the fact that we don't like it at the time. It's frustrating. You, you can't, you can't figure out how it's ever going to get to a better place. So it's that, again, it's focusing on the struggle rather than focusing on God. And in the time when I was struggling so much to read and comprehend, I was like, oh, why do all of my other classmates listen to the lecturing class and maybe read a little bit at home? But I have to read this numerous times. I have to take notes. I have to highlight and it was only yellow highlighters then I use all different colors because you want to emphasize different things but why do I have to go through all this much work in order to learn now I look back on it and I'm grateful for that Um, I'm grateful for having to be having to persevere and having to have that grit and determination that while I don't like these things that I'm struggling with I, I don't want them to defeat me because the enemy is going to get in your head and, and tell you, well, you know, you, you can't do this. And so you're not good enough or you're not equal to your peers or you're never going to succeed. And you have to push past that. But those things have, have equipped me 
for what I'm doing now, which is what I really feel was the whole purpose for all of it, is to talk about the challenges that we face in life. I say in my book, and I say all the time, is that life is full of challenges. Either you're exiting one, right in the middle of one, or one is just around the corner. And, and they're not all going to look alike. Some are small, some are huge, some are just an annoying thing, but we're facing challenges all the time. And we've we've got to have the right mindset and we need to know who we are trusting to navigate our paths. Because when we try to navigate our own paths, it usually doesn't work out too well. But yeah. if we trust God to navigate our paths, it's a whole different story. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me what, what is, what are some of the pieces of mindset? So I actually have a definition of mindset that I teach to podcasters. Cause this is the thing I do. I, I love to teach podcasters and mindset is one of the pillars in our, in our kind of five-step journey. Um, and I, I say this mindset is uh, the collection of beliefs or commitments that you have, which lead to your actions, which determine your results. Right. So what would you add to a collection of, of beliefs that you need to have? Is there one or two or three, however many you want to add that things that you think uh, you should really adopt as a belief about yourself, about God, about the world? What would you say? I like your definition to start off with. I might have to uh, incorporate can, that into mine. You can borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think that. Part of mindset is your belief in God and taking the time to look back at your story and see where he showed up and see where the cards were stacked against you. And yet things worked out well, or you thrived or you flourished during that time. And that's why when I learned that I should have had surgery before I ever left the hospital at age two, but yet I was just getting the surgery at age 45. Yeah. It's, it's that thing of you have done so much during this time that part of our mindset has to be remembering all the ways that God has been present in our lives. And then as the song says, okay, God do it again. But, but there's a huge amount of trust that's involved in that. And I find that trusting God as our navigator takes a lot of pressure off of me because I'm, I'm putting that trust in him that, that he's going to direct me to the right places. And that could be an open door, or it could be connecting with a person or an event. Uh, and so mindset to me is, is all about knowing that we are God's children and trusting that he is in control of our lives and, and submitting to that trust. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of those things are great. I think, uh, two, one thing, uh, that I'm thinking about as you're talking is trust one trust is learned, right? Like you learn to trust yes. and you learn to trust God through that season when you were really stricken with migraines, um, but beyond that, um, God is, uh, 
this idea of like trusting him as your navigator, right? There's so many things in life that you can't control. And I think we try to control or we like to grab onto the illusion of control. And so you didn't have that opportunity even, right? Because you knew you couldn't really control the migraines. But many of us struggle with that because we're trying to, and we think then there's something wrong with us when we can't control all of life. And friends, you just can't, right? The things are going to happen. They're going to happen to you. Uh, they're going to happen to the people in your lives. And you, and I've, I've, I've had to wrestle this too. go, okay, I can control what I can control. I can control today how I'm going to show up to an episode of halfway there. I can control whether or not I share the episode. I can control these other things. I can't control how many people listen to it, right? I just can't. There's no way I can do that. So we have to trust. In fact, I always pray before our episodes, uh, what I prayed w- with you just a minute ago, that, uh, that, God will do his part, right? And we have to leave all the rest to him, leave the results to him. And that's not easy, but it is the central struggle, I think, for God's people over uh, the millennia, for sure. All right, so I want to talk about, because uh, you, you've you taken all of this and you've, you mentioned it, you've got a book, and we mentioned that you have a, a podcast as well, Challenges Won't Stop Me. So tell me about uh, those things and what you're hoping to offer to uh, people as you do that? Well, I wanted to mention one other thing, and it is tied to the book and the podcast, is part of the mindset is trusting that God is equipping and empowering us to fight to overcome whatever challenge dares to intersect our path. He does that through his word. And taking, taking the mindset as you're studying his word and reading these stories in the Bible and thinking, okay, what did God do to equip and empower those people? And then what was the outcome? Knowing that he did it for them and he can do it for us, that cha- that impacts our mindset as well. And so we need to continue to keep putting God's word into our hearts and in our minds and believing that it's true, believing that what happened in King Jehoshaphat's life or what happened to the woman at the well or any of the stories, not just reading the story, but really thinking about how he equipped and empowered them and then what was the outcome should strengthen our mindset so that, hey, I don't like this challenge that has just intersected my path in a rude kind of way, but he has been equipping and empowering me so that I can fight to overcome. And that's very much a part of my message throughout my book and on my podcast. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. There is absolutely a resourcing uh, there. And I think this one reason I do the show is because I want us think about whether you're going through a dark night of soul or a spiritual desert, or you're just questioning belief in God at all. Uh, he's still there, right? He's still yeah. equipping you. He's still helping you. And he has done this for his people for well, ever. <laughs> so like take hope. There is, there is courage to meet the challenge. I absolutely love that. All right, Melanie, tell us about, uh, you know, the book and your podcast and where people can find it. All right. So a quick summary of Challenges Won't Stop Me. It is an interactive survival guide for overcoming and thriving. It is a journey. You start the book as on a trail 
And we start at the trail signs, which represent our unexpected turns in life. And we know how that happens. Oh my gosh, now I have been laid off from work. You didn't expect that, but now you've got a challenge and how are you going to deal with it, right? And throughout the eight miles of our journey, instead of the chapters being called chapters, they're called miles because at each mile marker, you are introduced to a new piece of essential gear that will strengthen you and equip you and empower you so that you can fight to overcome those challenges. And so examples of those pieces of essential gear are a tent. Are we going to choose to live in the world's tent that's very flimsy and um, degrading and not supportive? Or are we going to live in God's tent and choose to go there? You can have a tent, but if you don't choose to actually use it and meet him there, just like the tent of meeting uh, during the Israelites' time, that's where we meet with God and, and we get his refuge and strength and protection when we are in his tent. Uh, the map, of course, is pretty obvious, represents God's word. Yeah. Are we actually studying it? Are we believing what's in it? That's hugely important. That map is not going to guide and direct us if we're not using it. So it's great if you have all of these pieces of essential gear, but if you're not consistently using them, they're not going to do you a lot of good. Another essential piece of gear, uh, binoculars. And I've already mentioned this, but I tie this in with the fact that we can't focus on the struggles that are 10 feet in front of us. Because if we do, we'll get defeated, we'll get discouraged. The enemy is in our head going, just give up. You know, like, just give up. But if we take our binoculars and we put our focus on God and we praise and worship him and trust that he's going to be part of our journey and part of our fight to overcome, then it changes things significantly. So as we finish this book, you have been interacting with the pieces of gear. I have visual images to represent each piece. I encourage you to color it. Now, I've had some people say, I'm just not, I'm just not gonna do that part. And while it's not required, I'm not standing there making you, I highly encourage it because as a teacher, I know that this exercise of coloring it helps with retention. Mm. And I've had several readers tell me that. They're like, I just didn't want to do it. But because I know you, I did it. And you're right. It really does help me remember it. And then the other part that's interactive is that I ask questions. I have you underline and highlight certain things. And then of the people that I have interviewed on my podcast and interviewed even prior to my podcast, and I shared those as written stories on my website, all of that together are about 150 women. And so I've pulled some of their stories and share excerpts in each mile to help a reader see what it would look like to use that essential piece of gear in their lives. So it's not all 150. Uh, I think the first book has 30-something snippets, and it's snippets. It's not a complete retelling of what is already on my website or on my podcast. I love it. I think that is great 
And uh, I love the idea on your website. It says, trust your journey, right? Trust your journey ministries. I think that is a powerful statement because we absolutely, it's okay to be where you are, right? It's okay to be yes. where you are. I think we often want to be further. We want to be faster. We want to be someplace else. But wherever you are on the journey, whether uh, on the spiritual journey, I try to pull out those kind of milestones, those uh, Karens, if you will, you know, those markers on the on the path so that uh, we can have an idea of what it looks like for some people. Sometimes your journey looks like that. Sometimes it doesn't. But we can look at that, but uh, you can't you can't be five miles down the road without taking each and every single step. And so you've got to, you've got to do that. So I love it. Uh, again, your, so your website is at melaniebrown.com and that's where people can find your podcast, your books and uh, your speaking. So you speak as well. So friends, if you're looking for a great speaker, you should definitely bring Melanie in. I think she would be uh, a great uh, guest for you there. Uh, Melanie, is there anything else that you want to leave us with? Well, one of the things that I created when I was working on my book is the Journey on Quiz, and it is at journeyonquiz.com. What you do is you take a very short 20-question quiz, and through your answers, it determines what kind of journey navigator you are. And what it tells you about is the ways that you see challenges, I don't want to give anything away because there's five different personalities, so to speak, that uh, will be revealed. You will have one of those as your dominant personality. Is that a permanent thing if you have one of the ones that um, may not be as favorable as others? No, but that's where your starting point is. As you mentioned, we're all in different places. And through the book and through the podcast interviews, uh, those are resources for you so that you can continue to uh, be equipped and empowered so that whatever your personality is, you will be ready for that challenge that will at some point in the future intersect your path. I love it. Okay. So your website is melaniebrown.com, but then where do you find the, what was the website again for us for the uh, quiz? journeyonquiz.com journeyonquiz.com of course friends I have links to everything we talked about in the show notes at halfwaythereapodcast.com just go find that and you will find uh, everything we've talked about including uh, Melanie's book Melanie's podcast and the quiz so go check that out Melanie thanks for being with us I really appreciate it well it has been a blast I have enjoyed every minute thanks so much 